Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show Podcast. I'm your Saturday host, Sterling Fox, and today, Calgary MP Tom Kimmich has a private member's bill he hopes will pass and compel corporations to ask permission of their shareholders before committing money and brand to social causes. Auto Traders Marketing Intelligence Director Barish Akurek has new data suggesting while used car prices may have peaked, new cars are still costing more. And BCAA Sean Pettipas tells us why we BC drivers got a D on their latest school zone safety survey. Clearly, some homework needed there. So, let's get started. Our next guest is the Deputy House Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, the Member of Parliament for Calgary, Shepherd, and he's drafting a private member's bill to amend the Canada Business Corporations Act. This is one is focused on the duty of care that officers and directors owe to their shareholders, and if this bill is passed, it would ensure that those officers and directors prioritize the interests of shareholders above political agendas that are unrelated to the company's business purpose. A pleasure to say good morning to Tom Kimmich, the MP for Calgary Shepherd. Mr. Kimmich, Tom, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sterling. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you with us. And uh, the, uh, the you brought it came to our attention because of a column in the National Post the other day uh, talking about you. It refers to the conservative MP who's fed up with the menace of woke corporations. Uh, I, I did a, a, a description, a kind of an almost legal description of what your private member's bill uh, does, Tom. But in plain English, what are you trying to accomplish? All I really want is for businesses to be businesses and politicians to be politicians. I don't want your retailer. I don't want your grocer. I don't want the people providing you your cell phone service to be also moralizing to you about, you know, discrimination and racism in society and taking on social justice causes. If it has nothing to do with their core business line. That's all I really want to do. You know, back in 2019, uh, the federal Liberal government made changes to the Canada Business Corporation Act, and they made it uh, secondary interest. So shareholders are not the primary um, interest holders in corporations anymore. Those changes basically meant that the fiduciary responsibility that uh, the board of directors has is now to the corporation and not to the shareholders. So I just want to put it back to where it belongs. I want there to be like a what's called a duty of care from the board of directors on to uh, the shareholders of the company, the real owners of the company, the people who have you know, put blood, sweat and tears, have invested in it, put away their savings in a company uh, to be the ones that they're owed first responsibility to. The effect of my, my proposal will be, and I'm still working on the details just to iron them out, it'll basically be this, is um, businesses with you know, Twitter accounts and social media accounts, instead of just piling on and mobbing on onto people and trying to join the fray when there's something exciting going on online, they're going to have to go back to the board of directors and ask them for permission to do so. I think that's the right thing to do because the board of directors owes a responsibility at the end of the day to the people who own the business, right. the shareholders, to make sure that it's in their best interest of the business and that it's going to return a return on their investment and not just participate in, you know, very trendy political causes. Yeah, Tom, I wonder how many people are aware of the fact that the Liberals actually changed the definition of a corporation a couple of years ago. We all have understand. I mean, this goes back to economics 101. The purpose of any corporation is to satisfy the needs and wants of its shareholders. Full stop. The boards of directors and the executives hired by that corporation, their primary mission should be to make as much money for the shareholders as they possibly can. That's the the entire purpose 
purpose of any company. So the liberals actually changed the definition of the purpose of a company. I don't know if, if, if Canadians are even aware of that. Do you? I don't think they are. So, you know, I've had some some people contact me and I've seen some social media traffic from these other pages that are interested in my idea and, you know, doing my little part to try and fix things. And I notice people still have this very traditional view. Well, of course, business is out there to uh, look after shareholders, get a good return on investment and do right by them. Right. But th- that isn't true anymore. The best interest of the corporation, which was an amendment to Section 122 of, you know, the CBCA, that's the acronym for the act, basically added in eight different factors that a business uh, could consider and that the people who consider it is the directors and officers of the company. So shareholders are just one of the eight now. And that's why there's all this new um, kind of woke capitalism going on where your apparel company thinks it should also be participating in a public debate about racism in society, usually, unfortunately, American society. You see lots of American companies doing this. Right, right. But it also happens here at home in Canada. Their business is doing it right here. And uh, they just need to, you know, it's not so much, uh, as we say, stay in their lane, but they should mind their business. And my um, my proposal won't involve the government. So my proposal will put it on shareholders. If they see uh, a social justice cause taking on by a company they, they've uh, invested into, it will allow them under Section 241 to take the officers and the directors of the company to court and sue them to get redressed, to get some of the, the money back for that, that exact loss that they would have suffered. And it puts shareholders back in control of the companies. It's that, that's the way it should be. That's what businesses are for, to earn a, a return on investment, you know, provide a service, a product, whatever that is. Right. And, 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 and that, that return is what's important to shareholders, not the social justice cause. So the point being here that if the, the board of directors wants to endorse a certain cause or political um, uh, action or whatever, uh, you're suggesting that your bill would, in, would, would include the requirement that the board first go to the shareholders and say, are you OK with this? If you are, fine, off you go. And if not, then we're not going to do it. We're not going to sp- spend the money on that particular uh, item. So actually, right now, the proposal will be that, say, you have a communications uh, director or vice president of your company, and you have people running social media accounts. Before they pile on because there's something trendy going on, they'll have to get permission from the board of directors. The board of directors will have to approve what I'm trying to get the wording right, but an activist statement. So if they want to support it, that's okay. Uh, I don't want to squelch the right to free speech. They'll have to go back to the board of directors to actually approve it. And at the next annual general meeting, the shareholders will have a right to review and approve every single one of those activist statements. So a well-run company, publicly traded company, because this will only impact publicly traded companies, the really big ones, over $100 million worth, really well-run companies will plan ahead of time for which statements do they want to put out there because it's part of their business model. It makes sense their clientele really cares about this, or it's core to their business interests, they'll think it through and they'll approve these activist statements ahead of time. But what it will do is it'll reduce the likelihood of these social media communications people in these really big companies from just clicking like and posting things online to pile on and mob others and participate in the civic debate that should be participated with people not corporations weighing in right so then you when you go to a grocery store and you're trying to buy bananas you're buying bananas you're not getting a lecture about you know something happening all across the world that this company really cares about but has no direct involvement in their core business so 
like I, like I always tell people, uh, the core of a business is to provide a service or a product to people and return an investment uh, back to the shareholders. And in between, uh, corporations want to participate in a public debate. We'll have to think it through very carefully. But this mobbing and this, this incessant need to be online 24-7 and to have something to say will be checked. Well, there'll be a check and balance on it by, because it will require the board directors right. to meet and to approve it. So hopefully it'll slow things down a little bit. Maybe some more thoughtful debate will happen internally to the company, whether this is in the best interest right. of the shareholders or not. And I don't think that's too much to ask. Tom, we're almost out of time. I need to, uh, to, 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 to change gears very quickly and ask you what you think about what's coming up tonight in Ottawa with the announcement of the leader of your party, your next boss. Uh, who do you expect it to be? Well, I, I don't know what the members will decide, but it's an exciting time. I was neutral in this leadership race okay. as part of the interim leadership team. But, I mean, we have over 675,000 members. We are the biggest political party in Canada, federally, provincially. Uh, you could take all the different federal parties combined. We still have more members now than we've ever had before, uh, which is incredible. That talks about the excitement in the race. I know I, I'm in my riding today because I have a watch party with members of my riding we're going to come together. We're going to watch the results tonight. It's going to be exciting. I have no doubts that it'll come down to the wire. And, you know, it was it was interesting. Everybody, all the leadership contestants had, you know, different viewpoints of where the conservative movement should go. Right. And I leave it to members to decide what's best. All right. Well, we'll uh, certainly have only a few hours left and the mystery will be resolved. Tom Kimmich, thanks very much for doing this this morning, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sterling. Over a year and a half, car buyers have faced high prices and a lack of inventory at dealerships thanks to that global microchip shortage. But there are finally signs that prices, well, at least in the used car market, may have peaked. But prices for new cars have continued to climb and haven't showed any signs of slowing down. Here to talk more about it is Barish Akurek, Director of Marketing Intelligence with the folks at autotrader.ca. Mr. Akurek, Barish, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to have you along with us, and it's all—it's been about uh, car uh, chip shortages. For example, an, an, a commercial for new cars on anybody's TV station these days, Barish, is is not hurry down to your local dealer and buy one today. It's hurry on down to your local dealer and order one today, and you're looking at anywhere from six to twelve months before the thing actually shows up. That's pretty typical nowadays for new cars, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, so, uh, as you mentioned, because of the ongoing um, the microchip shortages, the new car market has been uh, impacted uh, impacted by by quite a bit. Although, having said that, uh, looking at the production levels, we are seeing some improvement in availability uh, in the last couple of months. So, the expectation is that uh, second half of this year will be uh, better than the first half. So, there's uh, there's some good signs. Uh, coming in our way. Barish, uh, President Biden recently signed the CHIP bill, uh, part of the new Democratic package, and this is going to uh, give uh, more incentives to American microchip producers uh, to start production, mass production in the United States. All very well and good. How long, though, before any of that becomes real uh, and available to car manufacturers? Yeah, no, good question. So, yeah, there is a, the, the bill was uh, around $52 billion, so it's a pretty large one. Yeah. Uh, having said that, um, uh, the impact of this, the positive impact of this uh, will probably take a while to come into effect. 
because as you might know, I'm, I'm not a microchip uh, expert by no means, but I know for a fact that it is a very complicated process to build these factories, set up tools and whatnot. So uh, based on what we've read on the media, uh, it, we believe that it's going to take a couple of years uh, for this initiative to come to fruition. Yeah, it sounds about right, too. Let's talk a little bit about prices. Now, you, you mentioned uh, and you were interviewed recently, and this is how you came to our attention. You talked about uh, used cars in terms of prices perhaps finally hitting a plateau. Maybe we've peaked. All of this increase in prices, and it's been startling for the last year or so in, in used car prices, Barish, has become, has be, is because there are simply, it's, it's a supply and demand reality. If they're not making many new cars, then suddenly late model uh, newish cars are, are terribly popular and in high demand. It's, 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 it's a simple supply-demand dynamic, isn't it? You summarize it really well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just to reiterate, yeah, there's uh, fewer cars in the market because of the microchip shortages and supply chain disruptions and whatnot. But on the other hand, when we looked at the demand side, demand for uh, vehicle, uh, private vehicle ownership has increased throughout the, uh, throughout the uh, COVID. So understanding, uh, to understand the reasons as to why uh, we do a lot of research, we talk to our consumers to understand what's going on. And one of the main drivers, main drivers uh, for this is that consumers are now less interested in taking public transportation and ride-sharing services. And, you know, uh, up until pretty recently, it was a, a, we had limited options to leave the country. So uh, increase the, the interest in increase in private ownership uh, um, is, is, can be explained mostly by this. So obviously... Uh, this has a big impact on uh, on prices. So looking at the prices from August last month, so new cars uh, still limited as we talked about, and the average price of a new car now is just over $56,000. Wow. 18.3% 18, year-over-year increase. But on the other hand, if you look at the use side of the equation, um, so we believe that the prices uh, were peaked in June. So up until June, we saw 17 months of, uh, of consecutive month-over-month increases in prices. But in the last couple of months, we are seeing some signs of slowdown. So again, looking at the data from August, uh, average price for used car is uh, just over uh, $37,000, and it's a 28.5% increase on a year-over-year basis. Interesting. We're speaking with Barish Accurect, Director of Marketing Intelligence at Auto Trader. Barish, uh, uh, you've described some pretty expensive vehicles of the average price for a used car is about thirty-eight grand, and new cars over fifty-five. Of those uh, vehicles available for sale, just a curiosity question for you, Barish. What percentage of vehicles, because you talked about reluctance to use public transportation and ride-sharing in the wake of the pandemic and so on by some people, uh, what percentage of, of, of cars uh, being purchased, used or new, are electric these days? Yeah, so uh, looking at the data from the StatScan, so we know that the interest in um, uh, EVs have, uh, have there's a, quite a bit of increase in EV sales, especially recently given the increase in gas prices. Yes. So we believe, uh, looking at the data from Q2 uh, of this year, uh, we believe it's around 68% of all sales of the EV sales. And again, 
going back to what's happening in Europe between uh, Russia and Ukraine, obviously gas prices went up by quite a bit. And mm-hmm. when we looked at our website data, we saw a huge increase in a number of leads sent to uh, dealerships. So just to be a little bit more specific, uh, during the week of the first week of the uh, invasion, we saw a 567% increase in, in uh, electric vehicle leads. So now that the, the gas prices uh, are coming down, the, the, the demand has slowed down a little bit uh, from the EV perspective. But on a year-over-year basis, it's still pretty high. Yeah, I'm ch- checking gas prices on First Avenue here in Vancouver on my way in this morning, and it's a buck ninety-six point nine. So about coming down. Yeah, maybe it's a lot more expensive than Toronto where you are, but still, it's under two bucks. And I guess we're supposed to be grateful for that. But you're quite right as a factor uh, contributing to people uh, investigating EVs more than ever before. That's certainly a reality, isn't it? That's that's correct. So when we look at our overall searches, again, going back to the beginning of March, we saw that uh, overall searches for EVs increased by quite dramatically as well. It was 89%. Again, uh, directly related to uh, what's happening with gas prices, it's come down a little bit, but still uh, the, the interest is pretty high. Yeah. Also wanted to ask you, because it, new cars, and we talked about, you know, you, if you run down to your corner car dealer, you're not going to get the car you want. You're going to reserve the car you want and get it in a few months. Given that reality in terms of limited selection of new vehicles, uh, what's the what's the tendency in the marketplace? This is your bailiwick, Parrish. What, what are people saying about, well, I, I, I don't want to wait a year to buy a new car, so how about a late model alternative? Is that what most people are gravitating towards? Yeah, so we do, as I mentioned, we do quite a bit of research to understand these type of phenomena. So uh, I can just tell you a couple of interesting points that came out from uh, research. So uh, consumers are obviously aware of what's what's happening in the market, and they're they're adapting adapting uh, to these uh, to the new reality, if you will. Mm-hmm. So one of the interesting things that we found was that 36% of the consumers that we surveyed, they're saying that they're willing to switch from uh, new to use, and, and compared to the results from the research uh, from last year, uh, it went up by quite a bit, around 10%. It was 27%. Uh, the other thing uh, that I want to tell you is that, again, going back to the shortages, uh, consumers are now uh, willing to travel more than uh, they used to. So 61% of the consumers we surveyed, they're saying that they're willing to travel more, and it was 41% compared to last year. Mm. And Probably the more interesting uh, fact here is that 33% of these, uh, 61% of the consumers, they're willing to travel for more than 400 kilometers to find the vehicles that they, 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 they found. So um, when you think about it, in reality, driving 400 kilometers to, to buy the car, it's, it's pretty extreme. Sure is. But again, looking at the overall market, then now the time on market when it comes to vehicle availability, it's, it's come down by quite a bit. So on the new side, uh, cars are being, both on the new and new side, cars are getting sold at a much uh, faster rate. Uh, so uh, my suggestion would be if you find a car that, uh, that you've been looking for, uh, don't hesitate too much. Uh, do your research, understand where the market is, and uh, you know, 
if you find the card that you're looking for, just pull the trigger right away because next week when you check it, it might not be there. Interesting and, and a great strategy. We appreciate the advice this morning. It's that time of year, Bearish, when a lot of people, you know, heading to winter, you know, we don't want to think about it on a beautiful weekend like this, but, you know, a change of seasons coming up and a lot of people, uh, it, this is the time of year that they take a look at those uh, at the ride and are we going to make it through it until, until spring and all of that kind of stuff. So if you find the car that really works for you, Buy it, because it may not be there in a week's time. Excellent advice. Bearish Acurec, thanks for this. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. It's a new BCAA survey which tested drivers' knowledge of school zone laws and rules rates us a D grade, showing there's some serious homework due to protect kids as they head back to school this year. A survey conducted by Leger here to sort of unpack some of the details is BCAA's Director of Community Engagement. A pleasure to say good morning and welcome back to Sean Pettypass. Sean, good morning. Hi, good morning to you. Good to have you back with us, Sean. Let's talk about this survey. You conducted it actually a few days before school began in mid-August or so. Tell us about the results, because some of them were pretty eye-popping. Absolutely. You know, every year we have data that shows that school zones are pretty dangerous places, and especially during those first few weeks back to school. So we wanted to understand a little bit more about the why behind they're dangerous, why they're dangerous. So What we did is we did a survey, we talked to British Columbians, and we asked them some questions. And what we learned is that there's some serious knowledge gaps between what they know and what they're actually doing. So things like where to stop at a school zone, when do school zones end and begin, speed limits uh, out of school zone times. They were all areas where British Columbians just didn't know the answer. So, you know, coupling that knowledge gap with some dangerous behaviors, and it makes school zones all that much more dangerous. Well, it is, and it's kind of bizarre that if, and I'm looking at some of the numbers here, Sean, 81% of us BC drivers know, the, for example, the speed limit in any school zone anywhere in our province is 30 clicks. And school bus stopping laws, those red lights start flashing, you stop, that's the end of it. We all get that. 81%, 88% understand and know this. But the next number is 74%, Sean, and that's 74% of drivers don't know how to tell when a school zone ends. That's a bit of a surprise. You know, it is a bit of a surprise, and then they don't know what speed they're supposed to be going, and it causes a confusion. Really, at the end of the day, when you go into a school zone, you see a sign. It says school zone uh, or something of the like. And then on the other end of the school zone, you'll see on the opposite side of the road that same sign facing the other way, and that's generally how you tell, but... What's more interesting is maybe people know what the speed limits are. But when we did our survey, we also asked about behaviors. And 80% of our surveyed uh, respondents, they witnessed speeding in school zones. So even though 81% of us know the limits, we're not following them. And let's talk about some of those bad behaviors, too. Uh, oh, and by the way, the, one of the other ones, and this is one, frankly, that I'm not 100% sure about myself. So help us with this one. According to the survey, again, 42%, Sean, don't know the speed limit when school is not in session. What's the answer to that? So this one's a bit of a tricky one because it can be community dependent. Some municipalities, some communities have different rules. So it's really important that you know what's going on in, in your small area. But in general, generally speaking, when school's in, 8 to 5, speed limit is 30. When it's out, it's back to 50. But again, many municipalities across our province have instituted a full-time 30-kilometer-an-hour rule because if you think about it, just because school's out, 
doesn't mean kids aren't playing in that playground or congregating or or whatever. So really, in in my mind, whenever you're going through a school zone, you have to be extra diligent. Right. And now it says also 69% of us are confused about stopping in a school zone. What are the rules with respect to that specific? Because that, that blends really quickly into bad behavior. So let's understand the rule first. You know, again, generally speaking, every school zone is going to have drop-off and pick-up procedures. Yep. They're going to be school-dependent, and the school determines what those are. So it's a parent's responsibility to figure out where and when you're supposed to drop off your child. But, you know, what we see is parents are just trying to rush. They're just trying to get through, and they want to get their kid dropped off, so they're stopping on crosswalks, or they're encouraging their kids to cross at unsafe places because they want to get through it quicker. But what it's doing is it's creating a dangerous situation for every other driver and child in that school zone. Well, and of course, because it gets, and, and you're right, uh, the one of the biggest uh, factors that you're just mentioning there, and you sort of breeze past it every quick, I'm going to return to in a hurry. Because of course, yeah. Sean, it's first thing in the morning, you're off to work, you got the kids, you're going to drop them off and away you go and everything's happening at warp speed and it just has to be you've only got seconds to touch down get the kids out and move along and it seems to be uh the 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 urge for for speed and dispatch seems to sort of almost knock everything else off the priority list and you see it every day outside most schools and and parents some parents are are more frustrated than others because they're just trying to follow the rules and get their kids safely into school and resume of the speedsters and and those in so much of a hurry they just stop caring you know absolutely and no one sets out to do dangerous behaviors in a school zone but what ends up happening is there's a whole bunch of people that descend on this small little piece of land every single day trying to do the exact same thing and that's why drop-off and pick-up procedures are created and that's why there are rules in place so that you don't create that chaos but what it comes down to is all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got to get to work. I've got to drop off the, the, the kid. Right. I, I go through it myself. I drive, I, 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 I take my daughter to the bus stop. And, you know, at the end of the day, let's just slow down a little bit. Let's plan ahead a little bit more, especially during these first couple of weeks, because all summer we haven't had these routines. That's right. It's been very different. So now we're back to making lunches or we're back to, you know, rushing in the morning to get out the door. So if you could just take a step back plan a little bit more, plan the night before, uh, uh, leave a couple minutes early. You know, there's really good tips around reducing that congestion too, because maybe you don't want to be part of that whole uh, busyness. You can park a couple blocks away, walk your child to the school. That, That helps reduce congestion, maybe bike to school. You know, there's lots of different ways to get through this safely, so all children are safe. I'm curious, you know, when you do these surveys uh, at BCAA, obviously you're the automobile associations, you're talking about drivers, but when it comes down to the school zone surveys on an annual basis, have you ever included crossing guards as sources for your survey? Because I'll bet you they've got a lot of stories to tell, Sean. You know, we, we do hear stories from... Uh, principals, teachers, crossing guards, other parents, uh, school bus drivers about people blowing through red lights on their bus. Um, we, we hear a lot of horror stories. And what we hear about is a lot of near misses. And near misses are when something almost bad, yeah. something bad almost happens. And those are really scary because that could be a fraction of an inch away from something truly terrible happening. So, yeah, we, we hear a lot of those stories. And that's why we're out every year talking to British Columbians and parents and making sure that we all take a little bit of extra time 
follow the rules and get through the school zone safe. Yeah, Sean, you talked about those uh, five key tips that BCA has sort of boiled things down to uh, in terms of school zone safety. And I'm now no schools back officially, but it's still sort of settling in. And a good reminder is not a bad thing. You've already mentioned, for example, the notion of parking a couple of blocks away where there's tons of parking and walking the kid to the front door of the school. It's quieter. It's calm. It's relaxed. You can actually have a conversation and you avoid all the all the traffic congestion that's one of the five tips what are the others yeah that that, that one's my favorite because you get a little bit of exercising you get a bit of uh, a little bit of air first thing in the morning and yeah it really does reduce congestion because yeah. more of us did that but some other really important kind of things to remember and i mentioned this one too but it's really build in time to prevent rushing because once you're out there you know it's it's just trying to get through it but if you build in a little bit of extra time and anticipate that school zone congestion uh it's going to be a lot easier to get through a really big one is just follow the rules. I mean, there's speed limits, there's places to stop, there's things not to do, don't drive distracted. Just follow the rules and it's going to be a lot more safe. Another big one is really expect the unexpected. Yeah. So maybe you're driving through and you're following the speed limit, you've reduced down to 30, but that doesn't mean just go 30 and, and, and just keep going. It really means you have to look around. You have to look for a child who potentially may dart out between two cars mm-hmm. or you know, the old ball rolling across the street kind of thing, because you never know what can happen in a school zone. Uh, and then finally, this one's really important, too. It's, you know, focus on what you can control. You can't control that person in front of you who's maybe doing those dangerous behaviors, but you can control what you do. So really focus on yourself and how you're behaving in that school zone. And if we all do that just a little bit more, it's going to be a lot more safe. Indeed it is. And uh, in terms of, of these tips and, and so on, are they, they're available uh, on the website? You can visit us on our website and you can take the quiz yourself and see if you get a G grade or if you can do better uh, and, and, and a lot more a lot more safety tips. Just in case we're into a little more humiliation early on a Saturday morning, let's go somewhere we can get a D. <laughs> but, you know, Sean, it, it's not, I mean, it's funny that way, but who wants to inflict such such humiliation upon him or herself at such an early point in the day? But your, your point in terms of our attitudes towards school zone safety, we do uh, quite rightfully deserve a D and we do have to do some homework here don't we we do it's it's really about you know we mentioned the speed limits in different communities just make sure you know your own rules and and get through it safely because the last thing we want is something to happen to a kid I mean we're all in this together those school zones exist our children need education so let's just make it as safe as possible well a, a very timely appearance sean we do appreciate your joining us this morning yes school's been in session for a couple of days but really after that i mean the first day lasts what a half an hour the first week is just it comes and goes in a flash now things are settling down now the routine is becoming established again and now it's even more important to pay attention to those school zone safety details thanks very much for this important conversation to have Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live 6 to 9 weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.